You're listening to Other Day Podcast with me, Jodie Muta-Hamilton, the founder of Other Day. Today I'm talking to Candice, who is a registered chartered environmentalist and an accomplished international creative and sustainability strategist who helps businesses and individuals to transform their vision into one that stimulates social, environmental and economic cohesion. In this podcast, we hear all about Candice's journey from growing up in Cape Town, South Africa, to what changed when she discovered mineral makeup in America, and what it's like to use creativity as a tool to challenge existing ways of thinking and doing. We also explore why she chose to become a chartered environmentalist and learn about her human-centric vision to communicate the nested model of sustainability. So originally, when I built the website, um, it was like in March 2017, and um, you were you and Alice were actually one of the first people that I had as a draft in there. I was like, I'm going to interview these two people no at way. some point. Yeah, and uh, it's still there in draft, so I will be able to make that a real thing now, which is brilliant. It only took however many years, but. Um, I'm kind of, in a way, quite glad that we've sort of left it. And now this is a different story, which is really nice um, to hear. So anyway, mind my babbling. Welcome, welcome today. And can you just tell me who you are and kind of um, what you're doing now, but then we'll talk about your journey to to the point where you are today. Um, So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, My name's Candice. I, I'm a hybrid professional and I call myself a creative sustainableist, which is a totally made up word, but uh, I think for the first time in my entire career, I can articulate what I do regardless of what I am doing. Yeah, I, I saw that on your LinkedIn. And I was like, that's actually really interesting because obviously I'm obsessed with words and their meaning, but I was like, because it's an enabler as well, like an ableist, and, and and obviously that's your part in the world, and that's your catalyst part, which you've been, you know, you've been on the forefront of doing a lot of that anyway, that like innovation sort of forefront piece. Um, so talk to me before we get into that, like how you begun your sort of professional career, and you know, even a little bit maybe about your background kind of personally and, and family life and you know to, to the listeners we'll we'll know that you haven't got a London accent perhaps or or whatever so yeah. So I'm originally from Cape Town in South Africa and I moved to London uh, officially in 2012 uh, and started I suppose my career that in, in, in the evolution of what it's become. Um, I was a hair and makeup artist for 20 years and I suppose my personal evolution started when I started switching my kit out to an eco-ethical one back in 2012. And so I'd been working in that space for a, a long time, long before it was trendy, long before there was a lot of product. But I, it really made me better at my art because I didn't have the availability of everything. So I had to think differently. And it, it, it allowed me that space and actually allowed me to develop a style that I've become quite known for in my hair and makeup work. Um, and then I co-founded the very first agency um, 
that only represented other creative stylists and talent who was working with a sustainable, eco-ethical-minded approach um, with Alice Wilby back in 2014. It was called Novel Beings. And we did some really amazing work through that period, but possibly like many of my other uh, endeavors, a little bit too ahead of its time. Uh, but something very, very proud of, and we've seen a lot of positive things come off the back of that. So we we then actually converted it to a creative agency where we were doing um, preparing shoots, conceptualizing them. We worked a lot with Fashion Revolution, with Birdsong, and, and the type of brands we wanted to support and tell stories with. So even back then, we were thinking about how we can reduce our environmental impact of shoots and increase our social impacts of shoots, but right from the concept itself, not as an afterthought. This was long before we, there was ways to sort of record our data, if you will. Um, but yeah, so that's really, really set the tone for where I've come to now in my career. It's interesting you, you say about the data thing and shown your impact because you've obviously obviously gone down the route of being able to to do that as well. Um, in I just want to go back a little bit to the style of kind of hair and beauty and things that you did and that you're known for. Could you just expand a little bit on that and what that is? Because in in a different sort of story, I always come to you for for advice about things. So you're you're you know one of the people that I will text and say, oh, I've heard about this, or I need some help on this, or actually someone else needs to know about this, which is our most recent um, conversation. So it it's kind of you know you're very knowledgeable in in the field that you're in, and and what is that? What is that particular niche or that field that you're in? I think. That itself has also changed. When when my journey started, I was really focused on green beauty and, and then clean beauty and all, all these terms that start with such a good intention but get hijacked and so the meaning changes a lot. So really my focus is on, I say, eco-ethical or conscious beauty. And it's, it's about making informed choices. So in terms of the work in air quotes, for those who can't see me air quoting, um, it's really about how we make choices about our products that are going to be the most suitable for us. So when I talk about sustainable beauty as a, as a makeup artist, it's not just, okay, I'm using green product, but is it serving the need? Am I going to finish the product? Yes, what is the packaging, but what's inside? What is the the journey or the, the value chain of the ingredients inside? How is it going to look on camera? Is it going to meet the needs of the people I'm working on? For instance, if I'm working on somebody who's halal, are the products I'm putting on that skin meeting their value system as well? So that's really the space. It's not just a case of, oh, well, it's natural, it's sustainable, because that's completely infactual. Um, it's, you know, I think also, the language we use around this area of oh it's non-toxic or it's it's problematic and and as a green beauty advocate i think i've also got to call out um nonsense <clears throat> ineffectual language around these 
this problematic terminology that uses fear. I don't believe in using fear to make change. Hmm. I think um, I think you're entirely right. I think fear and kind of something that I've been thinking a lot about at the minute is what what changes our opinion or what really drives us to 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 a different direction. And actually, for me, it's not stats and kind of fear because they become meaningless, like they become floating in space. Whereas the things that actually matter are um, deeper connection stuff and kind of the cultural piece that really changes our opinion on things. And I think as, you know, similar to you, that whole 10 years ahead thing, I've really suffered from for a long time. And I'm now thinking, what's the next move and what's the next um you know, what's my own place within this? And kind of, as I see, people are still talking about stats. Where do where do I not, you know, Ron? Where do I, I don't, yeah. Anyway, um, and I think it's interesting as well that we become more, more kind of, the more information, it becomes more polluted. You know, it's not necessarily a helpful tool to navigate around non-toxic beauty, as you just said, it, it, it becomes harder. Um, so... Are you still actually working as in that in that field, or have you completely left now? Because I've kind of followed your journey on Instagram a little bit as well, and kind of watched you almost run down your kit um, and all that sort of thing. So, are you still working in beauty, and and or have you left entirely? <laughs> I I made a decision back in 2019 pre pre-pandemic um, that I was actively going to finish my kit as you say you've seen the journey and while I'm still working on the peripheral I think it's gone back to a very honest place of when I do do makeup like I haven't lost the skill I haven't lost the I've still got the tools I just I'm not actively buying product if you came and said to me Candice can you do my makeup sure I can but I'm going to do it with your makeup. So I don't need to have this like never ending amount of product and waste and all the stuff that I was really struggling with on a personal and professional level. Um, and, and really using the skills that I've learned. I think one of the most important skills I've learned um, as a makeup artist that's transferred into where I'm going now is that that space you have between another person while you were doing their makeup is such an incredibly privileged space to be. You know, we don't naturally have people 10 centimeters from our face. And the the emotional connection that you can have, sometimes it's a really hard one. And sometimes it's also a really lovely open one. Like I can definitely walk away feeling really exhausted by some people because of what they give off. But I think that that really interpersonal skill that I've learned from makeup is something that I've taken with me into this new trajectory of my career. But before I go on to that, I want to say I was listening to one of your previous podcasts and I was listening to your point about data and data and data and all these facts and figures. And I, it really, really struck a chord with me because I think there, there's a balance. I think that there are some things that we we need to know the numbers on so that we can figure out what we need to do to change them and there's other things that we just need to see or feel or have that emotional interaction with I mean if we think about a garden you can see 
when something is flourishing. You can see when it's doing well. But when we are talking about how are we going to reduce the carbon emissions until we can actually quantify that data, we can't really sort of plan out of it. And so I think for me, off the back of listening to your conversation, which was really, really a, a good thing to hear, is that we've got to know when to pick and choose the facts and the figures. Yeah, and, and what you're doing with them, back to your kind of original point of the the scaremongering, does it serve us or does it not? Um, and it's that navigation piece between choosing, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> tell us what you're up to now and what, what how did you get there <laughs> and what, what made you change? Because a, a lot of the people that I talk to are actually wanting to change into something else, perhaps leave fashion and, and that kind of world as well but not necessarily, they don't necessarily know where to jump or how to go or what that looks like ahead of them. So what was that journey like for you? So it started with this realization back in 2012 that I needed to align my personal values and my working practices, and then the journey that I've experienced. And then Having not come from a very academic background or a very corporate background and everything's been very self-taught, I wanted to do more. I wanted to have a greater impact. And for me, that meant not just talking about stuff, not just inspiring people, but actually helping people make that transition. So now I am, um, if we are going to separate the different things that I do, because I think it's important um, to say to my point of I am a creative sustainable is that it doesn't matter what I am doing I am always using creativity to inspire and enable sustainable thought and practice but in the broken down pieces of what I do is I am now a um, sustainability consultant and strategist for the creative media sector and the beauty sector I've, I've stayed out of fashion because I think there's a lot of voices there and I think that collaboration is going to be more important than me being another person in the fashion space. Um, how do these, these industries intersect and where can we, where can I use my personal knowledge and personal experience to, to add value to what other consultants are doing in the space? I also build low carbon websites. Not something I, I trained. <laughs> it's like and it, just... it's beautiful. And I was like, right, I need to look at what she's doing there. What is that? <laughs> it's like low carbon website. Yes, is Squarespace low carbon? I don't know. Let me look into that. <laughs> I think we, we forget when when we can't see something, when we can't see the impact of something, we forget that it has an impact. So a low carbon website is really a strategy. I mean, there's a lot of things like Squarespace, Wix we can't control the energy being used to run that data center that's supporting the website. But it's more than that. It's also about like how you are making sure that your images are optimized, how you are managing your communication data on your website. Like, are you deleting old emails? All that stuff has a weight to it um, without massive facts and figures. It, it, it has a weight. So if you don't need it, it's metaphorically weighting us down. And so the sites I build are 
um, and, and it's something I'm learning as I go. I'm, I'm constantly improving, but they are all built on um, hosting providers that are run on 100% renewable energy. And then it's just best practice. But it's also best practice around accessibility and thinking about beyond just the carbon stats, but actually how we build um, sites and tell stories that, that matter and that are inclusive. Can you can you dig into that storytelling piece a bit more because that's something that you're brilliant at. Thank you. <laughs> I I really believe that stories, and I I know I'm not the only body who believes this, um, is one of the most powerful tools we have to see the change. You know, we can tell them as anecdotes. We can tell them as very personal things that allow us to relate to other people. We can use colors and, and fonts and language that are current and they can change. You know, a story doesn't need to be static. And I think that's what's really interesting in the storytelling space is stories evolve, we evolve. Um, and it's such a great opportunity to set the vision that we want to achieve and work towards it. I think, you know, we live in this, this time that is so incredibly complex and it's so, um, we're so fractured as, as a society. So what can we do to forget about the past, all the stuff that divides us and actually think about what unites us and build that story together. And so that's, that's where I use storytelling um, to just, try change visions try change ideas and and in terms of that who who would you say sort of inspires you or who do you look to to I don't know like we all need a bit of sort of uplift now and again and and what where do you get your yeah that connection and the inspiration piece for you where do you head to the dullest most boring <laughs> degraded parts of the city like I'll go for a walk and I always find my my personal inspiration is when there is like a blank canvas and there's this particular wall in Harlesden near where I live on the way to Wilson Junction tube station and it's just bleak but it's I see it as an opportunity like what am I going to put on there mm. so I don't really have a lot of places that I go to it's it's environments that for me inspire me and it's generally when I can add color whether it's optimism or hope or ideas that's what excites me yeah I think it's kind of quite poetic the fact that your you know your previous work or whatever the the blank canvas piece is obviously something really powerful for you um funny I I think I know the wall you mean because I used to live um kind of north pole off North Pole Road in sort of um, White City and I used to run up to there and it was on the left this big wall um, and I used to turn around at that point and come back <laughs> it's funny that that, that that was an interesting one isn't it interesting <laughs> um, okay tell me what you're doing now so Chartered Environmentalist what is this tell us <laughs> so I, I really wanted to feel that I had put in the work and that because I didn't have these years of on the ground corporate experience or 
a lot of academic um, experience behind me that it's a, a chartered environmentalist is a professional qualification basically that says I have sound knowledge and proven experience and a profound commitment um, to sustainable best practice and the environment and, and the societies in which you know the environment plays a very important part. And how did you go about identifying that this was the thing that you wanted to do and finding somewhere to do it and that it suited your needs? Because um, there's quite a lot, you know, <laughs> there's a lot to decide to commit to that point, isn't there? Because there, there are actually increasingly multiple courses, places that you can do things to further your knowledge. But this is quite, it's a very specific thing. <laughs> I think it's very important to, as you sort of said, like actually pick what matters for you. For me, having a qualification and an academic, um, something behind me was important for me, but it's not the same for everybody. So I I went and studied, I did a short course at Cambridge um, CISL back in 2019 on sustainable business practice. And that was really challenging because although it was a course for everybody, it was really focused around the corporate world. So if you didn't have access to certain information, you actually got penalized in your marks. And that that frustrated me and it, it challenged me to go and do more. So I went and um, did another course with AIMA, which is the... Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment and so I did my diploma course uh, it's a level seven diploma course through that because in order to get chartered environmentalist and uh, full AIMA you have to have a master's degree or equivalent and again I didn't I didn't have that so that was the route that I took because it made me feel better or that that I felt like I was gaining the knowledge that I needed to make the impact I wanted to make. And it, is it something, so obviously it takes a long time and kind of costs money. Is it something that you can already feel that it's really benefited you and that you can, um, in a personal way as well, but also that you now feel that you have this thing that you were looking for to then give to other people, you know, and, and ultimately charge them for really, let's face it, into <laughs> the day, that's what we're talking about as well. Absolutely. I, I definitely feel what what it did is it reinforced that I did know a lot about what was going on and, and possibly more so than many of the other people that were on the course at the time. And let's face it, that that is nice to know. <laughs> but certainly as well is that I feel equipped and prepared that I can actually deliver what I said I'm going to deliver. And it's not just sort of wishy-washy. Like I feel I know enough and, and and if I don't know where to go to find out what I need to know. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? As you said just a little bit earlier around being sort of self-taught a lot of things. Um, and it, it's sometimes you need that sense check with yourself, don't you? That, yes, yes, I do know what I'm doing and, and it is valid. Um, and how do you feel? Because it, it's fairly recent, isn't it? Your Your qualification, like the... Uh, the kind of completion of that the completion is so I yes. qualified um at the end of last year in right. 2020 with my um 
diploma course so I was qualified to work and charge for it but the it's taken until November of 2021 to complete the process my personal journey which was to get full IEMA membership and um, chartered environmental status okay I see um so quite quite a while for that process to to sort of happen um in terms of because I obviously did a little bit of research and I'm like, does that mean you're really specialist? Does that mean you're really broad? What what does it does it mean that you could literally kind of consult with anyone about anything around environmental practices? Or is it more specific to your sector, like beauty and, and whatever? Um, yeah. The qualification does give me um, scope to to consult to any. Um, any type of business and any type of industry, <clears throat> excuse me. But I think that using my years of experience from a uh, horrible word, but stakeholder point of view, actually being on the other side of these industries, the creative media and beauty industry, I, I can bring a lot of insight um, to that space. So it's, it's also because I know it, but I'm becoming increasingly more excited to take that knowledge that I've learned and actually use it in other industries, possibly more boring or corporate or analytical industries, because I think, you know, we bring a bit of color and flavor and, you know, the world needs more of that. <laughs> hmm. I would agree. The um, Something that you're very passionate about is using creativity to make that change as well. So it's it's like now you're in the perfect part of the analytical and the kind of really nitty gritty and the creativity to kind of come together and and be more impactful. Um, Talk to me about creativity. What does it mean to you? And and yeah, just the word, just expand on that. What a great question. What does creativity (laughs) mean to me? I think it's something that many people through society, societal um, involvement uh, are led to believe that they are not creative. And I like the challenge to say we are all creative. I, I think if um, we use the, the engineer's brain as, a, as an example, it's assumed that that's really analytical and that you take things apart, but the, there's such creativity in thinking like that. So for me, creativity is both parts of the brain, how they interact, how we look outside and what it inspires and makes us think and feel inside and what that output is. So for me, depending on at different stages in my life, but also, you know, I have these different creative outputs. Sometimes that is using storytelling to make people think or feel differently, or it's physical painting, or it's makeup, or it's writing. And and that's an output. But when I, I remember... <laughs> My very, very brief foray into the corporate sector back in 2010, I was, uh, I accidentally landed up with this creative director role at this new e-commerce, the very first like high fashion e-commerce site in South Africa. And I was in this like environment I had never been in before, like with the head of HR and the, the head of the business and the like CEO. And they said to me, what do you do when you're stressed? I said, 
will I cry? And and my my friend who was the business, um, the, the head of business, she's kicking me under the table. She goes, no, 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 she paints. I'm like, no, I don't. I only paint when I'm happy. <laughs> I think, you know, we've got these different things that inspire. So what's the output dependent on the inputs? It's boring a language as that is, uh, you know, it's quite relevant to what I do now. Um, but creativity is facts and figures and it's also spiritual and it's also personal and it's also something that you can share with the world and it's joy and it's so many things yeah yeah it it is (laughs) And, and quite complex and actually sometimes very not sometimes very pure isn't it it's yeah it can can be lots of different things I think um, I think it's yeah. bravery as well. I think, you know, mm. I, anybody, you can say I can't draw, but maybe you can take photographs. Or And I think it's just being brave about trying something that you're uncomfortable with. Mm. Experimenting, isn't it? It's kind of, I think we've lost that a little bit, haven't we? Kind of even my, you know, my daughter's afraid to do things because she doesn't want to get it wrong and that's her bigger that's her biggest challenge and I'm like you know I always say to her it's okay like being wrong's good because you learn you know it's good to be wrong right yeah um tell me a little bit um forward looking what you're hopeful for next so I really want to um set up a, a not-for-profit on a, it's called the I Am Impact Project, and it's something that I've started quite a while ago, and it got sort of lay weighed by the pandemic because I couldn't actually paint on people. But it's a behavioral change. It's an art and behavioral change project that has two components to it. One is that I'm actually painting and, and keeping that creative side of me going on people of all different shapes, sizes, colors from all walks of life. Um, about the nine planetary boundaries, essentially, um, and they conversation starters. So the, the idea of the prints is that they are so beautiful that you could hang them up as pieces of art. It's not a, it's not something like, oh, I, I don't see how that would work. They they all artworks on people and and discussing where our impacts are on these nine planetary boundaries. And the other part of the project is an analogy for sustainability um, using the human body. So there is a a diagram called the the three nested or three dependencies model of sustainability. And I'm sure you've seen the Venn diagram of what sustainability is, people, planet and profit. But the problem with that particular model is we are always looking at trying to move things into the middle. So this nested model, um, which is an established business model when they talk about sustainability, looks at these three things and their interdependencies on each other. So always in the middle, like if you think about a bullseye, the economic ring is on the inside, the social ring is in the middle, and the environmental ring is on the outside. So immediately, we start looking at the the relationship of these things rather than these things as siloed issues that need to come into balance. And so the I am impact um, analogy takes the economic ring and likens it to the skeleton. You break a bone, it hurts, but you, you still live, you recover. The same as with the economy or your shoot budget or your income at home. 
we still live. It 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 has an impact. It it, it hurts. It does cause issues, but we're still breathing. The social ring I liken to um, society. So sorry, the societal ring I liken to the the muscular and nervous system. When that is strong, the economy strong. When society is strong, the economy strong. Our bones are strong. And then finally. Um, I liken the environment to our skin because they literally serve the exact same function. They are designed to protect us. We scratch ourselves, we recover. Like you don't even notice it. You cut down a few trees, we can survive. But you lose too much of your skin, just like we lose too much of the environment, we do not survive as a species. And I think it then goes into lots of other spaces of if you think about a skeleton without skin and bones, I mean, without um, meat and bones, it is literally the symbol for death. So if we mm. start realizing that the economy without society and the environment just is, there's no life to it. And then you can play on other things like when we talk about um, climate change, like if we start thinking about that as a fever, we understand in the human body the difference between healthy and fever and it's literally by a degree and it's the yeah. same for our planet so that that's really what I want to spend my time in 2020 is working on that um, project and, and allowing it to be a space where people can use that to talk about sustainability in a more human way <laughs> yeah yeah that's really beautiful <laughs> really interesting to and kind of yeah, it really brings it home and how connected it all is. That's amazing. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing that play out for you and, and us as well, not just you, but all of us. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, is there anything else that you want to tell us or talk to us about today that I, we haven't really covered? Um, it's... Oh, there's there's always so much. No, <laughs> I just I just want to say that go for it if you want to change go for it all you can do is not succeed um i've always found giving myself boundaries is really helpful and yes i know it plays into the planetary boundaries all these things are interconnected but so for instance when i moved to the uk i had tried many times and i sort of always failed because i was always living in two worlds i wanted to be back in cape town and so nothing really moved forward here and when i when it finally stuck back in 2012, I sort of made the decision, I'm going to give it one year. I had a deadline on it. If it didn't happen within that space, if whatever I needed didn't come about, I could still go back. I could still have my clients. I could still go and get a home. I could still, you know, my, my life wouldn't have been uprooted. And because I had that, I sort of had a safety net. So it wasn't like completely unknown. It wasn't fearful. I had a plan. And I think that has been a very useful tool for me whenever I've been making the decision is that's the boundary. I'm going to give everything of myself or I'm going to give 50% of myself or whatever it is. And if stuff doesn't change or it doesn't feel right, I've got a recourse. But if it does, I can keep moving forward. Mm. Um, so hopefully that's useful to anybody who is thinking about changing and doesn't always know how. And the other thing I'd like to say is that when we, you know, sustainability being such a big buzzword is, is to remember 
that actually now when we're talking about sustainability, we are talking about um, maintaining finances at a certain rate or level without the depletion of natural resources or infringing on human rights. And if we aren't speaking about all three of those things in one conversation, we are not talking about sustainability. We are talking about green initiatives or we are talking about financial growth. Or, but sustainability in 2021, 2022 and beyond is those three things in relationship. And also that sustainability is a destination. So the tools that we use, whatever they are trying to navigate, is it, it's a compass. Everybody's going to have a different journey to get there. Everybody's going to have different factors. So there's no singular route for all of us to take. You've got to find what matters to you, um, what the other impacts are around you, and, and navigate like that towards what we are not defining sustainability as <laughs> yeah amazing thank you so much um I'm glad that we made this happen from 2017 to now <laughs> um and actually really loved hearing everything that you're up to and and the plans for ahead and thank you for being you and so creative and breaking them down and yeah really really honored thank you Thank you so much for having me, Jodie. I mean, it's a yeah. massive honour to be um, on this podcast. And nice to know you've been wanting to chat to me since 2017. <laughs> I know, a long time. Literally, I'll show, I'll send you a text of the of the draft, but it's funny, kind of your pictures there. You you know, it's just funny, the dates on it and everything. Are you a, the... are you a big vision board person? Um, interestingly, I did... Um, some coaching with Pia, um, who's incredible, by the way, to anyone that's listening to this. Big shout out to Pia Stanchina. Um, and she was like, you've just got to do it, Jodie, like just even if it's on Pinterest. Um, and I have loosely, but she definitely made me think about things quite firmly. Um, yeah, so I probably need to pick that up. And that's probably quite a good thing for people to do going into the year ahead isn't it what what are your top tips on that then well I think it reinforces the sentiment of if you can see it you can achieve it so if your language is visual and you can see what you're trying to get to whether it's a person's face whether it's a new home or the, the there is a impetus to get there that the impetus is far more relatable than if it's just a sort of like high in the sky thing I'm not a an active um an active vision border <laughs> but I'm definitely a as I said um a moment ago like I, I draw lines in the sand and and that helps me so I do think that it's a useful tool mm. particularly like you just said if you're a visual person like you kind of need to have something to look at to head towards right um, yes, I think I will work on that. Thank you. <laughs> lovely. Okay, well, thank you so much. And you have a, a lovely rest of your day. And um, thank you, Jane. Yeah, th thank you as well to always being open to my, my rambling texts of what does this ingredient mean? What is this? Can I tell these people that this is a great brand or not? What's that? <laughs> thank you again. Too, for that so too. many questions. I love <laughs> questions. I love coming up with solutions. I'm a problem solver. So. Um, anytime. Thank Ask you. <laughs> All right. Have Thanks a lovely day. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and it gave you some energy to turn thought into action. If you have a moment, please do rate and review the show on iTunes. We'd also love to carry on the conversation online, so make sure you check us out on Instagram at otherday underscore world and online at otherday.co.uk. Thank you.